All right. Uh, I think we'll go ahead and get started tonight. Uh, can you hear me okay out there? Okay. Good. Okay. Well, if you can't, do something. Wave at the guys up there and they can turn me up, I guess. But um, welcome to everybody's here tonight. We appreciate you coming. And, and to those of you that are online, certainly appreciate you all being there also. Um, thank you all for coming. I, I might be a minute or two late getting started down here because Janet was down here telling me about a restaurant we could go to to eat. <laughs> um, I have I have a, a standing thing about my favorite food, and my favorite food is, unfortunately, food. <laughs> I can eat most, most anything, but I really like Greek food, and that's what we were talking about, and uh, she found a Greek restaurant she really liked, so that was kind of fun. Uh, Great. Well, I appreciate everybody coming in, and, and we're going to be looking at First Timothy tonight. We're going to go ahead and move on to chapter 3 uh, and begin to focus there. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles there, that would be great. Uh, think about any prayer requests that you have uh, that you'd like to add to our prayer list. I, I do want to add uh, or make an announcement. Uh, Freddie asked me to make an announcement about uh, a loading that's coming up uh, in on Tuesday, uh, there's a. This is the most important one. Tuesday at 10 a.m., they will be loading uh, a load then, and that's when they particularly need help. He said that was most important. But on the same day, on Tuesday at 1 p.m., there will be an unload. He just said the unloading is, is usually a little easier than the loading. But uh, uh, but but 10 a.m. or 1 p.m. If you can help, I know he would appreciate it, and whoever else uh, would be working with him. So. Uh, let me ask you for prayer request. Any particular prayer request that you have tonight that, that you want to make sure I mention in, in tonight's prayer? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh. Um, what <clears throat> Rachel was telling us about was uh, so apparently several students in her class have homes that are that are breaking up, and uh, it's really difficult, obviously on everybody, kids, or what you see, but difficult on everybody. Yeah, definitely mention them. Anyone else? Yes, sir. Oh, the, the guard's daughter had a stillbirth. Wow, okay. Mm. Mm. Sorry to hear that. Um, any, anyone else want to make mention of tonight? All right, well, let's pray together. Father, we are uh, grateful for the opportunity to be here tonight. We're, we're so thankful, Father, that you have allowed us this time to join together as brothers and sisters and to look at your word together, Father, and uh, try to uh, learn more about it and, and learn more about how we can be pleasing to you. Uh, Father, help us in that, and, and certainly, Father, forgive us where we have not uh, done what we should have done or, or have done things we should not have done. We ask for your forgiveness, Father, through the blood of Jesus. 
Father, we know that you love us and you care about us, and certainly you love uh, Rachel's students and, and their homes that seem to be going through breakups. Father, we certainly pray for those situations for them uh, that, that if possible that they, that they wouldn't break up, but that if if that is going to happen, certainly pray for uh, comfort for those that are involved in, in the right way. Father, we're um, prayerful for uh, our guard, Napoleon, uh, his daughter, apparently has had a stillbirth. We pray for that family in this, uh, such a sad loss at a time of so much hope uh, to encourage, to encounter such a loss. Father, we certainly pray for them and uh, pray that you be with them. Thank you for each family that's here tonight, either in this class or in other classes. And, and certainly, Father, we pray that uh, we would all be about your business each day. Uh, we continue to pray uh, for the end to the pandemic as soon as possible. And Father, we also uh, continue to pray for uh, your help and guidance and, and uh, comfort and reassurance for us in the, in the craziness of the world that we live in now. And Certainly there are times, other times in history where it has probably been as bad or certainly worse. And, uh, but Father, this is the time we live in. And we certainly pray that you would help us through this time to be good examples uh, in how we live our lives and uh, that we would be uh, a shining light in the world in the way that you'd want us to be, that we would represent you and, and your glory in the most appropriate way. Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, well, last week we talked about 1 Timothy chapter 2 uh, and in first, the, the latter part of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and spent a good deal of time talking about the roles of men and women and uh, how those are uh, described, uh, particularly the focus in the second part of chapter 2 on, on women uh, and their roles. We talked about uh, different assemblies of the church and, and what, um, what they're like and, and how uh, the different uh, particular um, directions that we've gotten from God apply in those different situations. We talked about that, and we also spent a little bit of time talking about um, salvation, that, that funny verse toward the end of the chapter where it talks about salvation and childbirth, and we, we talked about that also last week. So, so that's kind of where we were at, but tonight we're going we're gonna to move on, uh, but I, I certainly would uh, encourage any of you that have any other questions or thoughts about what we did last week or this week or, or any other time, if you'd like to sit with me and talk about it, certainly open that door and would really enjoy uh, the opportunity to do that. Uh, but tonight we'll, we'll be looking at uh, chapter 3. So now, but in general about First Timothy, I have said from the beginning, uh, to me there, there's sort of two main areas or, of focus or two levels of instruction that are working in this book through really throughout the whole book. And uh, one level of instruction is, is really more at the individual level of, of each of us individually. And the particular uh, verse, theme verse, you might call it, that I, that I picked on in that is 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, uh, where uh, the Holy Spirit through Paul says that the goal of our instruction is what? Love. Uh, love from a, a pure heart, uh, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Uh, well, that, that's really focused on each one of us, right? And, and individually focused on each one of us. So um, I, I use that as one of the theme verses. The other, the other theme verse is really goes along with the other focus I see in this book. And, and the other big focus in this book is really more at uh, what I would say is a congregational level. Uh, and the, the particular theme verse that I picked out uh, for that really is in the reading for tonight. Uh, and that's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, 
uh, and that's um, just to read it to be exact about it. Uh, part part of the verse says, "I write so that you will know how one ought to con- ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth." So again, how should we conduct ourselves in the household of God? What should we do? And um, this book at different times focuses on that aspect of our lives as Christians. And tonight, certainly, uh, we'll be focusing in on that that sort of issue. Now, so one congregational level issue is is leadership, right? Um, Leadership, and we certainly think about uh, the elders and deacons, and we're going to be talking about that in some depth tonight. Uh, But I encourage you to remember one of the things I pointed out earlier about preaching lessons, and that is, even if you never stand behind a pulpit, we all are preaching lessons all the time because people see us and, and, and sort of see how we conduct ourselves. Well, how do we live life? Well, how do we interact with other people? And then I would say at some level, the same sort of thing is true about leadership in, in the sense of we all have the opportunity to be a, a good, hopefully good example. Uh, you know, we don't want to be a bad example. And sometimes we're, we are good and sometimes we're bad, but uh, but but we have the opportunity to be a, a good example, to be uh, that sort of person who might help lead someone in the direction of Christ. Now, now that is different, obviously, from the particular offices that we're going to be talking about tonight, and, and I recognize that. You know, these uh, offices or roles of elder and deacon are, are distinct, and we're going to talk about how they're distinct and, and what makes them that way. Uh, but each of these roles has certain qualifications, and but also has certain, um, I guess you'd say, responsibilities, and uh, we'll we'll mention that in, in just a minute. So a minute. So uh, let's look at uh, chapter three, and and I'm actually going to just read the chapter. It's only 16 verses long, so we're gonna we're gonna read through that now. Um, tonight, unlike last Wednesday night, I, I didn't give you all a chance to talk. I'm going to warn you now, okay. <laughs> Uh, tonight, I'm going to ask you some questions, and, and I want to hear a response from you about those questions because I am uh, very interested in terms of what you think and how you, as you read these verses, what input you would give to these. So there's some things here that um, I, I think we probably could benefit from putting our heads together about. So, so 1 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer, then, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine, or pugnacious. Again, I'm reading from the New American Standard, so your words may not be exactly the same as these words are. Uh, Not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, uh, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, 
not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is, by, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. By common confession, great is the mystery of godliness. He who was revealed in the flesh, was vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? That's uh, there, but we're going we're gonna to look at it uh, in, in a little depth. First, I want to mention uh, a word, uh, authority, uh, because it directly pertains to uh, this particular passage. And, you know, authority is important. Uh, I want you to think for a minute about the, the Godhead. Think about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, the Son and the Holy Spirit do what? They are submissive to the Father. I mean, they have done what the Father has asked them to do. Uh, they, they work together, uh, but, but it is a particular sort of relationship that uh, God, in some ways, seems to want to have reflected in a relationship with, with us. So there, there is obedience, there is submission, all of those things exist in the Godhead. Well, you know, we too um, are under authority where obedience and submission are, are important parts of how we live and how we conduct ourselves. You know, our elders serve under the Lord and, and they have responsibilities to do and, and then subsequently they obviously lead us, but they have responsibilities to God about, about our souls and about, you know, what kind of guidance we're receiving in, for our souls. So uh, pretty, pretty serious. Very serious, right? Some, some days you think, well, it's hard enough to, to keep up with myself. <laughs> uh, but but I, I do want to be concerned about other people. We all want to be concerned about other people and, and to help along those lines. And sometimes uh, we can get ourselves in pretty thorny situations, right? Pretty difficult times. Uh, and and uh, hats off to the elders because they have to deal with us. If they're aware of these difficult, thorny situations, they have to deal with us and try to help us through that. Now, so to do that, they have to have what? Great amounts of wisdom. And, and I would say this particular wisdom is wisdom that's born of knowing the Scripture well, but then also having had what? Life experiences. Um, and those two things together work to have, to develop uh, godly wisdom or spiritual wisdom that is so, so very necessary. Um, you really can't have great spiritual wisdom without knowing the Scripture. Uh, and you really can't have great spiritual wisdom without having had to uh, apply those Scriptures in what? Real life situations. I mean, life happens. Things things occur. How do you deal with it? How do you how do you uh, manage those situations? Well, for yourself or for anyone else, that requires wisdom. And and I want our elders to be very wise because I want them to be there to what to help 
each of us when we get in these thorny, difficult situations. Now, part of that, though, is us. You know, we have responsibilities also. Um, you know, our responsibilities to our elders are, are significant. Uh, turn with me to Hebrews. Turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at a particular verse there. So either electronically or turn the page, but turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And we're going to look at verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Uh, so, so the real cliff note version of this is we, we need to be submissive followers. You know, we need to be uh, serving under their leadership and their guidance for us. Turn also in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. Okay, a few more pages back the other way. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 12 and 13 says, uh, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. I think this is pretty clear that we, we should be about showing appreciation and giving esteem to those that serve as, as elders. Uh, they have a difficult job. And, and some of our responsibilities is uh, obviously to, to be followers of their lead, but to also be uh, people who are, uh, hold great appreciation for them and esteem for their, for their work. Um, and, and we need to show that. I mean, it's one thing to have it in your head, uh, I can tell you that uh, uh, most of us, uh, you know, any of us on any of our jobs or any of our relationships, we kind of like to be encouraged, right? Well, I'm sure that the elders like to be encouraged and, and we want to encourage them um, through all the things that they do. Now, one of the things that requires this relationship uh, with the elders requires is that, that we be open with them. Um, I do know from uh, talking to elders that sometimes they get in situations where they get called in at the last minute in what's a really difficult, thorny situation, and they get called in at the last minute, and they're like, wow, I wish we could have been involved back here, right? Uh, but that's not when they get called in sometimes. Like sometimes they get called in at the end. Well, let's individually make a decision that, that we don't want that to happen in our lives. We want to uh, make them aware of what's going on earlier rather than later. Uh, again, they keep watch over our souls. Um, and they're going to have to give an account for how they did that. Uh, but we're part of that equation in that it would be more profitable to us to work with them, to appreciate them, to esteem them, to be submissive to them, and, and to give them information that uh, would, would be helpful. I think what that also means is that they have a right to ask us questions about our spiritual lives. You know, if uh, one of our elders came and asked me about something, uh, you know, I, I need to respond to them. And uh, so many times, uh, some may feel like, well, you know, why are they asking me? What right do they have to ask me about that? Or they are, 
you feel resentful, uh, please don't. Uh, you know, because th these men care about you. They care about your soul and what's going on. And please be willing to uh, be open to them and, and, and share with them. If they're asking you about your soul, they're not out to get you. They're out to help you. And that's very, very different. <clears throat> I think the other thing is followers that we need to be aware of is that we, we need to have a certain level of maturity ourselves and that we recognize that um, the elders are, uh, have a big job, they have a lot going on, and they're doing their best. You know, they're really doing their best trying to fulfill their role in terms of what they're doing, uh, but they're human. They, they don't have an endless amount of time. They don't have an endless amount of energy. Uh, and, and we need to recognize that. They're, they're not perfect. We're not perfect, right? So we don't expect perfection, um, but, but we need to have the maturity in ourselves to sort of recognize that they're, they're really trying to do their roles in, in helping take care of us and lead and, and guide us and, uh, and that we want to give them the benefit of the doubt, I guess you might say, or at the very least, we want to assume goodwill uh, of what they're doing. Uh, so again, I, I would encourage each of us to, to think about that. Now, uh, let's turn to some specifics that are covered in the chapter. And I am going to begin to ask you some questions here because, I'm, frankly, I'm interested in what your thoughts are. A lot of good Bible students in this class, and I'm very interested in how you might have answered some of these questions for yourself over time. So I'll be asking you a few questions. But um, we, we start out looking at this uh, role of overseer as it's referred to in the third chapter. Uh, the first verse says, uh, it is a trustworthy statement that if any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. So here's a question. Is the aspiration to be an elder condemned in the Scripture? Is the aspiration to be an elder condemned in this Scripture? If the motive behind the desire is wrong, yes. And that would be true about anything, right? Uh, pardon? Not for money, not for filthy lucre, not for any uh, illicit sort of gain, right? Uh, but if they aspire to do the work of an elder and do the actual work, it, it is not condemned. If they have the right motive, the aspiration is not condemned. Well, we need good elders. You know, I hope some of the young men in the congregation and in this classroom even are, are, are certainly aspiring to become elders one day because uh, we need good elders. We always do and, and always will because we're people. Uh, the other thing this verse says, it, when it describes uh, this overseer, uh, it says it is a fine work he desires to do. You know, it is not viewed simply as a title or a position you know, being an elder is what? It, it, it is a work. I mean, there are things to do. You don't, you don't just hold a position. You, you, uh, you might desire it, but you, you don't desire to hold a position. You should be desiring to do what? To do the work. Uh, because there is work to be done. Um, so right off the bat, there are there's some very important aspects of this. Now, uh, let's look at some of the uh, specific details in terms of qualifications that are mentioned here. One is above reproach is the way my version puts it. Let me ask you a question. Okay, so I'm looking for an answer. What kind of person is above reproach? What kind of person is above reproach? 
It's not perfection, right? Because nobody's perfect. Yes, ma'am. One who knows and loves God and is willing to do His work. Certainly, admirable in terms of what they're doing and that does not require perfection, uh, but that is a, a godly aspiration for a, an elder to have, a faithful elder to have. I don't know if you know people like this, and I know we all know at least five, okay? Uh, but... But there's some people that if you heard a bad word about them, if somebody said, oh, let me tell you about blah, blah, blah. The first reaction they should have or any of us should have would be what? Uh-uh. I, I know them and they're, that's not what they do. Uh, they're not that kind of person. Uh, it would take witnesses, multiple witnesses, to prove to me that that person had done whatever nefarious thing is alleged. Um, I know I certainly feel that way about the elders we have at Delreda, and, and I think that's the way it ought to be. That We ought to have men that we can look to and say, if somebody said something bad about them, my response is going to be, uh-uh. You're going to have to prove it to me. Multiple people are going to have to prove it to me. So I, that's what I think of when I think about above reproach. Husband of one wife. Now let's, let's discuss this, okay? I am interested in you all's input on this question also. Uh, this particular portion of this verse has been seen in, in at least a couple of ways that, that uh, I would mention. Um, one is that they, they read this and they say, well, this means that this person has only ever been married to one woman. And that's it. There are other people who read this verse and say, well, it means that only one woman at a time and that, you know, someone's wife may have died and they may subsequently have gotten remarried. And you would have to say, well, they've had two wives, not at the same time, but they've had two wives, right? And, and some people read this verse and say, it's really talking about a one woman kind of man. And of course, either you would meet that qualification or, or you would not. So... So my question to you all is, I'm curious about what conclusions your studies have led you to about this point. Um, when you read this, uh, to be the husband of one wife, what have your studies sort of led you to conclude about that? Uh, you know, I've mentioned two possibilities, and uh, that, that's, uh, I don't want to say possibilities, but two ways people have read this verse. I am curious, and, and please share with us, you know, how... How have you read it? How have your studies led? What conclusions have your studies led you to? So I want to open the floor to that. George. But is the husband of one wife? Okay, so, right, okay, so let me, let me re, reword it just to make sure I'm getting the essence of what you're saying. So you're saying it says, is the husband of one wife. So you would say, and tell me if I'm wrong, because I may get this wrong, okay? Uh, you would say that um, he is currently the husband of one wife. In other words, there may have been another wife at some other point in life who might have, there might have been a scriptural divorce, there might have been a death, there might have been a whatever, but but this is a this person only has one wife, right? Okay. All right. 
Okay. If it's not a scriptural divorce, then, then he really still has the first wife, right? So, so you would say he has more than one wife in, by definition in that way. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Others? Tommy? So even though some Jews may have had more than one wife, be it in accordance with the law or not, uh, clearly he was drawing a hard line to say, <clears throat> uh, in the new law, you have one. You have one wife, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure, and of course Galatians is a whole book that's about drawing distinctions between the old and new law, right? So he, he does do that sort of thing, even if not specifically here. Okay. Uh, anyone else want to comment? Because I do want to make one more comment about this before we leave it. I know there are many biblical scholars here. and I, I, the, um, the other point that I would make in this is to say uh, one thing that the, the Scripture does not say is that... Um, <clears throat> let me make sure I say this right. It does not say that this person can be the former husband of one wife. Right? So if a, if a man was married, uh, his wife died or, or whatever scriptural occurred, uh, but he's not married any longer, I, I don't see where it says that person can serve as an elder at that point. Now, I'd be glad to entertain other biblical scholars' thoughts on that. You know, anyone else have a comment about that? But it does not say uh, that uh, you can be the former or the what did I write? The former husband of one wife. It says you're the husband of one wife. And I, I think there are really good reasons for that. I think there's a huge benefit to an elder in their work if they have a faithful spouse, right? And, and should have a faithful spouse. Uh, 
Uh, there is enormous benefit to an elder in their work. Uh, women bring such value. They, if nothing else, uh, the wives can help the husbands see their blind spots, right? Now, I know none of you guys in this class other than me have blind spots, okay? But I, I do. And, and I appreciate when my wife points out my blind spots because I have them, okay? Uh, sometimes I appreciate them less than other times. <laughs> uh, but, but seriously, uh, I, think it's, I think it's very beneficial. And I, I don't, I've never met an elder that did not think their wife was a benefit to them in their work. But having said that, the wife is not an associate elder, Right? Uh, the wife is not somebody that hears everything the elder hears. Uh, the elder still has some confidences that, that the elder keeps. So, so I, I just point that out to say there, there's still a difference there, uh, but, but I have no doubt um, that um, godly wives are very beneficial to, to men who are elders and who um, either she helps them see their blind spots or provides information that he might not have otherwise heard, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You could fill in the blank. And there are a lot of ways, I think, in which a godly wife benefits a, a man who is an elder. So, uh, so I think uh, I'm very thankful that it is specifically pointed out here by, by the Holy Spirit uh, about uh, being the husband of, of one wife. Yes, sir, Wayne. Absolutely. Uh, for those of you who might not be able to hear, uh, you you can scripturally serve as as an elder if if you have had uh, if your wife has passed away and you subsequently remarried, right? Then then you're still a a, a one woman man at that point, right? Okay. All right. Well, let's let's move on. There's several other qualities here we want to look at. The next one I have down is temperate. Uh, now the dictionary says showing moderation or self restraint. I would say that. A temperate person is not given to flying off the handle, okay? Or um, they understand what it means to say you don't have to say everything you think. Right? I think a temperate person understands that principle. Uh, a temperate person understands that sometimes the better part of valor is, is silence, you know, to withhold and... and um, a temperate person understands that sort of thing. Sometimes a better part of valor is to say nothing. Um, my version says prudent. Uh, other versions might say self-controlled next. Um, let me talk about it from the prudent standpoint a little bit. And that is, uh, you know, decisions uh, involve a lot of variables. And the more difficult the decision, the more variables there are usually. And sometimes it's even difficult to tell which variables are true and which variables are false, you know, and, and what's the whole story of what's really going on? Um, I, I would say, and I, and I wrote this down, taking the variables into account and making the best value judgment you can helps define a prudent person. A prudent person sort of takes it all in, makes some determination of what's true, and then makes the best decision possible. So uh, I think that is a tremendous value to have in an elder respectable, uh, regarded as good, proper, or there's some form of merit involved. Hospitable. Now here, here's a question. 
you all give me feedback. How do you define a hospitable person? What is hospitable? So a more prolonged willingness to, to help support somebody who might be in need uh, in some way, uh, more than just a, a meal, like you were saying. Okay. All right. Others. Hospitable. Daniel. Okay, uh, being, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute, about being a respectable person as seen by people outside the congregation. That is a very important point. So um, hospitality is certainly an attitude of wel welcomingness uh, and being open uh, to visiting with people and helping to meet needs, as George sort of alluded to. Um, able to teach. Uh, some versions might say apt to teach. Uh, I, I certainly think this is something an elder should be comfortable with. Now, now that does not necessarily mean in a, in a big classroom or, or even in a small classroom. Uh, sometimes elders have to be comfortable teaching in very uh, intimate situations. You'd say maybe just with a couple of people or even just one person. Uh, so I think there are different ways that elders qualify in terms of this regard. Uh, not addicted to wine. Uh, I could I could go on a good bit about this. Uh, uh, the in our society, I think it's difficult to uh, drink alcohol in front of someone you're sort of trying to uh, persuade about the gospel uh, and be perceived in the same way as if you did not drink alcohol. Uh, so I, I am very much opposed to that, and, and do think that in our society, that drinking alcohol is a is a, a sign of something that may make it more difficult for us to share the gospel. It needs to be taken seriously. Uh, Doug. Apt to teach, okay. Yep. Very important that, that an elder would be able to uh, confront someone who would otherwise be teaching false doctrine. Absolutely. Uh, we're going to read the scripture about that in just a minute over in Titus. It talks about that a good bit. So we're, we'll look at that in just a minute. Um, it is interesting, going back to the uh, alcohol thing, just a minute. 1 Timothy 5, uh, verse 23. Uh, Paul specifically tells Timothy, uh, he says, no longer, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for, for what? A medicinal purpose. He says, for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. I think that's a very telling comment. Because what that implies is that Timothy didn't touch alcohol at all. And, and Paul actually had to say, well, sometimes in their time period, it might have been a medicinal reason to have done that. Um, and we don't live in that time today, but, uh, but, but I think that it is a very telling comment that, 
Timothy did not use alcohol. Uh, not pugnacious. Um, <laughs> boy, there's so many of these we could talk about. Uh, not pugnacious to me. I, the dictionary says eager or quick to argue, quarrel, or fight is what pugnacious means. Uh, the question I would ask is, do you sort of hate to see them coming because you know they're going to pick a fight? And uh, that's a pugnacious person to me. And, uh, and you don't want to be that way. Uh, gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money, must manage his own household well, keep his keep children under control with all dignity. Um, so, it, you know, it's necessary to know, well, how, how does this person sort of deal with the people that are part of his household? Now, I do have a question for you. Uh, what about the situation where the, the person has adult children, they're not in his household anymore, and, and maybe they were, and they were faithful during that time, but later in life, those adult children aren't. Tell me what your Bible study leads you to believe about that. Does that disqualify someone from being an elder? Absolutely, George. Absolutely. Uh, George makes the point that um, uh, other than necessarily not everyone gets married, so other than the qualification of having one wife and which was the other one you mentioned? Children. That these are certainly qualifications that we should all aspire to, right? We should all want to be these sorts of people. Uh, very good point. Excellent. Uh, but, but your first point was about they're no longer part of his household and uh, therefore, he, he doesn't hold the same responsibility for decisions they might make later in life. I think, is that fair from what you were saying? They're not under his control, right? They're not under his control. Other comments about that? I'm sorry, we're about to run out of time. <clears throat> Tommy? separate from their father and mother and cleave to one another. Um, okay, well, I know that's the second bell. Um, we will pick up next time, um, because I still want to cover this about deacons, and there are a few more things I'd like to say about elders. We'll pick that up next time. Um, so please, uh, you know, just put a marker down there, and we'll come back to it next week. Uh, I do want to look at a few other passages, not all the passages that relate to elders, but there are a few other passages in particular I think are pretty important for us to discuss in this context. Uh, so we'll come back to that next week. But thank you all for participating tonight.